hey girl, hey, you've entered Batty Behavior, where the breast cancer baddies come together with other survivors and thrivers to have candid conversations about life, sex, body changes, and relationships after breast cancer in a judgment-free space. All are welcome. Let's get started. Hey, 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 baddies, what's going on? It's your girl, Dr. Alexia, triple board certified infectious disease physician and stage three breast cancer survivor thriver. I create healing pathways for your total health and cancer wellness, mind, body, and spirit. Let's chop it up about navigating the finances of breast cancer care. My name is Dr. Alexia. I am a stage three invasive lobular carcinoma breast cancer survivor thriver. I am a baddies ambassador and I'm here today with baddie ambassador Veronica and metastatic breast cancer thriver Myra. And today we're discussing how we got our bills paid after a cancer diagnosis and treatment. So let's jump right into it. So I will let you ladies introduce yourselves to our audience before we jump into this juicy conversation today. Go ahead, Veronica. So I am Veronica and I am, um, I can't believe it's been two years since my breast cancer diagnosis. Uh, So I had invasive ductal carcinoma and uh, I live in San Antonio, Texas and I am living the flat life. And so that's a little bit about me. Awesome. Myra? So I'm Myra. I live in Fort Lauderdale, so South Florida. I am going on my sixth year living with metastatic breast cancer. I was originally diagnosed in 2016. Um, And yes, I'm a lifer and I'm a thriver. Awesome. 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 I mean, Myra, when I hear six years in the midst of like surviving and thriving six years with metastatic cancer is already so big in and of itself. And I hear that I'm like, and I'm not, you know, scooping you out of here, sis, but six years of, you know, constant treatment, never ending treatment, six years of imaging scans, nonstop doctor's visits, like that is a lot and it all comes at a cost. So what kind of financial support was extended to you um, in the very beginning when you were diagnosed and has that continued over the course of this journey? So um, for me, it's all been my husband's insurance. So I've been very blessed that he has a great job with great health insurance. Um, So we were very lucky that, um, you know, they covered a lot of the costs and the rest of it came out of pocket from us. Mm -hmm. um, We we still have a few bills here and there that we have to pay. But yeah, like you said, um, you know, I, I get scans every three months. I see my doctor every three weeks and all that you know, starts adding up and I'm not working. I had to, you know, stop working because of COVID to stay home with my boys. Mm-hmm. Um, so that took on a huge, you know, financial burden uh, as well. Um, but yeah, no, like, you know, my husband likes to joke that I'm the million dollar wife. I've racked up millions of dollars, you know, medical bills because, you know, everything is so expensive. The medicine that, you know, you need to keep you alive is so expensive. These PET scans that are, necessary are so expensive 
Mm-hmm. Um, so every time you go see your doctor and, you know, things are changing all the time, you know, co-payments are going up. Um, you know, it, it's, it's insane. I mean, I was on a medication that was $14,000 a month mm-hmm. and I'm like, who can pay that, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you, know, you get assistance here and there. Like my, my medical team has been great whenever they can find ways to help, you know, so that the cost of the medication is not so expensive. You know, yeah. those things are temporary. It's not a long-term, you know, fix. And they called me and they're like, oh, you have a $7,000 co-payment. And I started crying and I was like hysterical. And I called my husband and he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, how are we supposed to pay $7,000 for a pill that I have to take every day for the rest of my life? And this is a month cost. And we had to call, we had to call different, you know, um, pharmacies to see who would take my insurance and how we could get the cost down. And at the end of the day, I only had to pay $30 for Mm -hmm. the medicine. But if you're not an advocate and you're not persistent and you're not calling and asking questions, you wouldn't even know. Like, I didn't know that we were using the wrong pharmacy. We're using a pharmacy out of network. It was something as easy as that. It's just switching pharmacy and you go from $7,000 to 30 bucks, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it can get a little daunting, but like I said, I've been very blessed. My husband and I have been very blessed and you know, we just cut costs here and there, you know, for the things that we need to, to pay for. Yeah. I mean, definitely whenever a new bill or a new cost comes up, I'm always like, okay, what can I cut out to make up for that? And it's like, okay, we'll eat out, you know, once less during the week or during the month and we we can supplement that. But when it's you talking about $7,000, you know, that's really hard to do. Or I remember coming in for uh, my biopsies and I had like a $300 down payment <laughs> for my biopsy yeah. because I had a co-insurance, not a co-payment. Mm. And so, you know, those kinds of things can be really tricky to figure out. You don't even know until you're in it. Mm-hmm. So Veronica, what has that looked like for you? Um, I, I feel when I feel lucky that I work for a healthcare system, and I, because I was in the healthcare system, I kind of had resources available to me and I was able to ask questions or knew what to do. So, you know, I, I have my insurance and I started to learn the difference between, I knew what the difference of in-network and out-of-network was, but then we also have preferred network, which meant if I go to a hospital within the health system that I work for, and sometimes the programs and services weren't offered at the hospital that I worked for, yet then they were going to want to charge me more for going to still an in-network facility. Um, And so I learned the ins and outs of advocating, answering questions and fighting it. I felt like I became a fighter. All mm-hmm. like breast cancer was a whole different thing. Like I felt like I was constantly fighting with the insurance company or the hospital to say if this is not offered at, you know, hospital A that I'm supposed to go to, but I have to have it done then it should be covered. And right. so it took a lot of either I had to pay up front and then appeal and do a lot of things and get reimbursed. Um, I feel like I was very organized before, but I became so much more organized. I kept a log of everything of where I was going and what I was paying and had, did I meet my you know, deductible and my right. out of pocket and all of those things. But then also, and I, I felt also where I, I was grateful, but I also felt guilty because 
I would go, I'm going to put my badge on and you're going to see that I'm a vice president and I want to be treated this way. And I felt bad sometimes because not everybody has that, you know, resource. But in order for me to get the treatment that I needed at the place that I needed or the place that my surgeon thought that I needed to be, um, I used that as much as I could in order to um, get everything paid for. And yeah, I'm still shocked to this day, like I, I went to physical therapy for courting last year and it was all covered. And then I go this year and it's like, oh, it's $60. And I'm like, what do you mean it's $60? And I was like, it was, it wasn't $60 last year. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, that was a different, you were coming because it was initial and now you're coming for a second round. I'm like, that makes no sense (laughs) whatsoever. It's the same cord. It's the same (laughs) arm. And I was like, because it was initial, it was covered at 100%. And because I came back for more, it wasn't covered. And so it's it's just been this this whole other battle that gets put on top of us that, yeah. that is just, it's ridiculous sometimes. Yeah, it is. Um, but, it, you know, it stinks that we have to go through it. But I guess, you know, when you turn your pain into passion, right? We can sit here in this conversation and, you know, drop some gems and hopefully offer some guidance or some starting points that the women coming behind us can utilize in order to get through their treatment and to to navigate the finances of cancer care because it is expensive and we got to get these bills paid. So, you know, speaking of resources and gems, you know, let's talk about social workers, right? They're part of um, hospital networks, but they're also a major part of a cancer center. So social workers, they have a wealth of knowledge um, when it comes to financial resources for cancer patients. Were either of you paired with a social worker through your own cancer center? And if so, how did they help you out? Um, so for me, um, my situation is a little different because I was initially diagnosed stage three. And then after I finished all my 30 rounds of chemo is when they did a PET scan and realized that I had already spread to my spine. Wow. So once they found those, you know, they found those spots in my spine, obviously I was re-diagnosed stage four and then it's a whole different ballgame. Because once you're stage four, nobody wants to touch you. Nobody wants to do anything. They are so hesitant to do anything. And so you really have to advocate and fight for yourself to get certain things done. Like I had to find the right... Um, surgeon that would perform the double mastectomy because they didn't want to do that. And then, you know, there's all these new treatments that were coming out um, and you have to, you know, do a clinical trial. And so my social worker got me into a clinical trial, but um, well, she had helped me apply for all of that. And then I was denied. And so I had to kind of go over her head and I was lucky that my doctor, my oncologist, my team, they're amazing. I I tell everyone, like, she's a nerd, but that's kind of what you want on your side because you need someone that's going to fight for you. And she had to present my case about three, four different times at the tumor board to get things approved. You know, so cyber knife was a big thing, um, like, which is the gamma knife, there's different words for it. Um, and so that's what I was trying to do for the clinical trial to take care of this, the spots in my spine, you know, and insurance isn't gonna cover something like that. So I was hoping the clinical trial would. And my oncologist fought for me and she had the radiologist on speed dial. She called them up and they were able to get that treatment for me at no cost. You know, so um, my social worker was able to navigate a lot of the paperwork and things like that. Um, that was just in the beginning. Um, once I kind of started to advocate for myself and started to gain more knowledge and ask more questions and network with other 
um, metastatic um, patients, I was able to get more information. So I didn't really rely on her as much. I think she was um, very important in, in the process in the beginning of understanding what the difference was and how what insurance would cover and what they wouldn't cover. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I'm very blessed that my team, I have a, an amazing RN who is another person that advocates for me. And anytime I have any issues, I call her and we figure things out and we get we get it done, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think I had to position myself as what does it sounds like I had to become friends with this whole team. Like everybody in my center knows me. Like mm -hmm. I'm the patient, I'm the loud one. I'm the one with the green hair. You know, I walk in there, everyone knows me because during chemo, I was wearing crazy outfits. You know, I dressed like Santa and it was giving presents to the patients. Like I made myself known in that place that everybody knew me and I was friends with everybody that everybody was more than willing to help me if anything came up. You know, yeah. I've been going there for so long that I feel like they're family. So yeah. I, I feel like you kind of have to position yourself in a place where like people know who you are and they're like, okay, she's a fighter. She's not going to leave us alone. She's going to be harassing us, calling us like, let's just help her and like get this done for her. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so she helped in the beginning and then I kind of found my way around things and, and got things done on my own. Yeah. Yeah. The squeaky wheel, it's the oil, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, I didn't realize like every, like when I first started going to my cancer center and then like, I think it was every month that I would go, even though I was going more than once a month, uh, they would give me this little form to fill out. Like, how, how are you feeling? Do you know, do you feel depressed? All kind of like the emotional and psychological support kind of stuff. And I was always like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. That was my answer to everything that I was good and okay. And I, probably did that for six to seven months and till one day I was just having too much going on and I marked it bad all the way down and that's when it triggered like you need to talk to one of our social workers and I thought nobody told me about a social worker before that I didn't know that it was something that was even offered to help me with everything that was going on that was so overwhelming and I wouldn't have known unless I had that bad day and then I filled it out and then I did talk to the social worker. And so I, it was interesting to me that it wasn't even offered at the beginning. And I have talked to them since then saying, you know, you need to tell people that this is offered. Um, I was diagnosed right before COVID started. So too, I feel like at that time they were rushing people in and rushing them out and I couldn't have anybody with me. So I don't know if that played into not wanting me to be in the center longer than I needed to. So they didn't offer the social worker, but, um, at my work, we had the employee assistance program as well. So I did reach out to the employee assistance program. And for me, it was more, not so much of the financial support that I was looking for, but more of just the emotional and connection, just wanting to talk to somebody because I couldn't go to support groups. I couldn't talk to anybody. And that's where I ended up going online on Instagram and finding for the rest of us and other connections. And um, so for me, it was more about that and not so much the financial of it. Uh, but it would have been good to know that the support was there, the social workers or the patient navigators were there from the get go. And it wasn't something that was shared with me. Yeah. So our social worker in our cancer center sort of made rounds, um, you know, each patient was assigned a, like a chair and they were like little curtained off rooms. And so she would come around and our social worker came to see me. She sat and I knew her from 
um, working in the hospital system, um, I was also treated where I work and I trained. So I knew this social worker from long before I had cancer. And she came and she sat down and she said, I really just came by to see you and see how you're doing and check on you and catch up with you um, because you work here. So I know that you're good. And she just assumed that because I'm a medical doctor that the money I was making was enough. And in a sense it was, I mean, I had to cut a lot of extra expenses and, you know, whittle down bills and things like that. But um we were all kidding ourselves and think, well, not everybody else, just me. I was kidding myself and thinking that I was going to work for the duration of my treatment and bring home the same money. And I couldn't. And my disability check only covered about a half to three quarters of my monthly expenses at any given time. And I honestly just had too much pride to go back to um, the social worker and say, listen, I'm struggling. Like, you know, um, oh, the way she came at you, like assuming like, well, you're right, assuming that I didn't need any assistance. So it kind of was like, oh, like I have this attitude that I'm not supposed to ask and that I, I shouldn't seek financial assistance because so many people have it, you know, worse than me. And I think we get into that about so many different things, health, finances, you know, whatever's going on in our lives, we always get into this like competitive pain thing. And because I'm not doing as bad as somebody else, Mm -hmm. I'm not worthy of help. And we have to really release that. We have to let go of that pride because at the end of the day, if people choose to help you, just allow them, just be receptive to that, you know? Um, So because I felt like I was deterred from, um, seeking social services. I just didn't when I should have, because, you know, I, I did all of the things you're supposed to do. I saved the six months of bill money and all of that stuff, but it was bills. I didn't save six months of cancer co-payments and, you know, plastic surgery co-payments and all of that kinds of stuff. So I quickly ran through that emergency money and I just felt like I'm not allowed to go back and ask this. This is not for me, people like me have to figure it out. Um, and anybody can apply to so many services that are available. Okay. But I, yeah. I like Veronica said, there are a lot of things that are offered that no one tells you. Like yes. even just a compression sleeve. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that your insurance can cover two free sleeves a year. I went and paid for my first sleeve because I needed it. And I was so mm-hmm. to get lymphedema and it was $100 for that sleeve. Yes, it, they are not cheap. Yeah. And it's like, nobody told me until after the fact, I had to find the right people to tell me like, no, I'll fight. Don't worry. I'll get your insurance to cover. And ever since then, I've been getting my sleeves through my insurance. I don't have to pay anything. My first bra after surgery, you know, I ended up paying out of pocket because they didn't Mm -hmm. tell me that it was covered. So there are like so many things that you don't know that your insurance, you know, will cover. And even like doing things that especially me, I'm a lifer, you know, there's things that I do um, to counteract the side effects of this chemo pill I take. Mm-hmm. So on top of the fact that I have to pay money for a chemo pill, I have to pay money, to get other things done, like other services like acupuncture and mm-hmm. massage therapy and, lymph- you know, lymph- lymphatic drainage massages. Insurance doesn't cover that, you know? And so that's something that I have to pay out of pocket if I want to keep myself healthy and, you know, we reduce the, the risk of developing other issues, you know, um, and all that stuff is really expensive and nobody tells you that, you know, yeah. and 
And I, I have to have these conversations, you know, because being an advocate, like that was one of the biggest things is, you know, once I got diagnosed with sharing my story to help other women and hoping that they would learn from my experience, you know, is having these conversations. And once I find like some really good, you know, um, programs, I always share the information. You know, I'm always sending it out to people and people that are newly diagnosed, constantly sharing what I learned so that other people don't have to go through all the struggles that I went through, you know? Um, which I wish more people would have done that because I kind of went into this blind, even though I knew people that were cancer survivors. I have two onset of breast cancer survivors. You know, no one tells you what to expect when you're going to chemo and, and how expensive a wig can be and the cold cap yes. and all this stuff. It's like insurance doesn't cover that. Like when people tell me they're getting cold capping, I'm sorry. But for me, I'm like, are you serious? That's $3,000. Mm -hmm. I see what I can do with $3,000 right now. I'm like, the hair can fall off. It'll grow back. It'll you know? Back. Yes. It'll yes. grow back. It is not that serious for me. You know, and like I want to save my life, forget the hair. You yes. know? So, um, but yeah, those are all things that insurance doesn't cover. And a yeah. lot of people just don't know that. Yeah. And it really depends. Like, and, you know, annually insurance coverage changes even within your own plan. So last year I paid out of pocket for my lymphedema sleeves. And I think I only got two pairs for the year. This year, I get two pairs covered every four to six months wow, with no out-of-pocket cost. And they changed my coverage so that now I've just got like the lymphedema mother load. I have a pharaoh, I have a new sleep garment, and I just got a compression oh, wow. pump. And it, like it's like a lymphedema therapy center just got delivered to my front door and nothing was out-of-pocket. Whereas last year... You know, I was writing checks at the surgical supply center um, to pick up my garments. And the woman came to my office and was like, Dr. Gaffney, I need your debit card because you have outstanding balance of 200, whatever, whatever, like walked into my office. And I was like, well, dang, I'm glad it's a pandemic and nobody's in here because I wouldn't want people thinking I'm skirting on my bills. But we thought it was going to be covered and it turned out it wasn't. And so um, you just never know. You just never know. So um, this episode, right, it is titled, Can You Pay My Bills? So the real <laughs> question here, ladies, is are you team Destiny's Child or are you team Beyonce? He's got to answer. Oh, man, that's a tough one. I don't know, Veronica. You got a choice? I don't know. I, I want to go with Team Beyonce. I, I just, you know, I just feel on your own. I don't know. I like that. <laughs> on your own. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. I'm definitely Team Beyonce. And I'm like, you know, who she was as a member of Destiny's Child versus who she is as Queen Bee on a whole nother level, you know, and the level at which she is paying her bills um, is on a whole other level flying solo. So, uh, you know, if we paying bills, we want to pay them like team Beyonce does. <laughs> what about you, Myra? You got to answer. Yeah, I guess I'm team Beyonce, but I mean, I kind of have my Jay-Z. I have my husband with me too. You know, <laughs> all Beyonce. I have my Jay-Z who, you know, because of him, I can afford to pay all these bills because yes. I would not be doing all of this, you know, because he's told me because every time, you know, he switches jobs or insurance changes at work, you know, we've had good insurance, really good insurance, and then we get crappy insurance, and we're like, damn, we see the difference. This is terrible. And mm -hmm. then we have to fight for everything. You know, like I have to get the pet scan every three months because of 
my mets to my bones. A CT mm-hmm. scan won't cover that. And all the only thing that they want to do is a CT scan every three months. And so my my oncologist has to call and do a peer-to-peer every three months. Like there's always something, you yeah. know? And it, it's so frustrating. And it's like, you, you're, you know, you have so many other things that you're dealing with that this is the last, you know, crap you want to deal with on a daily basis and having to fight with insurance companies to do things or prolonging something that you need. There were so many times that I had to prolong you know, certain procedures. Like I was supposed to get a PET scan in December and because mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to pay a co-payment again and, and, and so yeah. I insurance, I prolonged it. And in January I found out that I had progression, you know? So it's like things like mm-hmm. that when yeah. things are so time sensitive for someone who's metastatic it is, is insane, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, he tells me, he's like, I don't care what we have to pay. My husband's like, your oncologist is my homegirl, and I don't care what insurance we go. If she's out of pocket, like we're paying. I don't care what we have to do. We're gonna get it done, you know, That's because awesome. we love our team and we trust our team that we're willing to sacrifice what we need to in order to keep her, you know, and to keep my team. Yeah. And I'm looking at like my, you know, my medical center is like ten minutes from my house, guys. You know, so I, I speak to a lot of women that are driving two hours, mm-hmm. getting hotel rooms, hotel rooms, and I'm yeah. like what and i'm like it's on the street it's great you know there's like three different medical facilities by us all owned by the same hospital you know so i i literally drove there and came back and i was good you know it was never anything crazy but these women that are paying you know all this money and gas to travel to fly to where they need to go i mean that i mean i my husband gets mad at me because i'm like meeting women online who are like i don't have gas money to get to my treatment. And I'm sending, mm-hmm. I'm literally sending women that I've never met gas cards so that they yep. can go and get their treatment. So I'm like, that is ridiculous, you know? Yep. And then women are like, I don't have money to pay for food for my kids. You know, I remember seeing a girl on Facebook who brought tears to my eyes because she's like, I had to pay with change for food. And everybody was so annoyed. The cashier was so rude. And she's like, I didn't have money for my kids. I went and got her a gift card and sent her money. And unfortunately, both of these women have passed. They were both metastatic. But my husband's like, Mara, what are you doing? I'm like, listen, I don't care. I'm like, I could not sit here and not do anything. You know? Yeah. You gave those women ease in the hardest time of their life. You know, and you supported them. And you supported their children. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, Shawnee and I were talking about how, you know, over Breast Cancer Awareness Month and different initiatives, we've seen a lot of money raised, but a lot of that money is other breast cancer survivors. I would say, especially for small grassroots organizations that are putting money, uh, paying bills, sending people's children to proms, uh, sending gas cards, sending grocery cards, paying people's utilities, those or providing programs, assistance, bras, et cetera, directly to survivors, those organizations are most heavily supported and funded by breast cancer survivors. So, you know, here we are um, in our own personal financial struggle and need as a result of living with breast cancer or, you know, living in survivorship after breast cancer. Um, and we are the ones who are are holding down the fort for the community. Um, but I, I have to say that, um, you know, for as much as my pride wouldn't let me do things like start a GoFundMe, even though like my cousin set it all up, did all the things. And she was like, you just need to go on there and put in certain things that I can't put in for you and activate the account. And I never did it. And I so regret that I didn't. 
do that because, you know, I spent out my emergency fund. I spent out a retirement account and, you know, I, I started at zero. Like I was one paycheck away from, you know, the stuff hitting the fan when I returned to work, you know? So what, like things that really, really helped me and kept me going were that, um, other women who are physicians and moms collected money for me without me knowing and just sent it to me. Like I looked up and there was thousands of dollars in my PayPal account, um, from colleagues near and far. And so, um, have you all had that kind of support or what other ways have you supported breast cancer survivors or whatever other funds do you know that support breast cancer survivors that we could direct women to? So for me, I, I think I was somewhat in the situation that you were where I let my pride kind of overtake uh, the way that I was feeling. I just felt like I shouldn't be asking. I still had a job. My husband was working. Um, you know, I I felt like there was things in my life that I was blessed with that, so that I shouldn't be uh, asking for help. I didn't set up a GoFundMe and I just, and, and I think that I, we still made sacrifices with things. We still change things. Um, you know, we didn't, well, one, we were in COVID, so we weren't traveling and we weren't doing things. And so I was using that money, but I felt like there was an impact and there was this worry all the time of what are we going to do? And, you know, if I had my bucket of money, do I want to spend it on cancer stuff or do I want to spend it on other things? And um, so that was hard. And I just, you know, we just, and I, you know, my husband and I, and he's here, he's my rock. And like, we didn't talk about it. It was just like, okay, let's just get through this diagnosis and then we'll figure out all the rest. And um, I think that for me, I overcompensated with work. Even I, again, COVID, I was working from home. So I had the luxury to work from home. So that too, I was like, well, I can work from home, but I was overcompensating, like working extra hard and working all the time and early and late and not getting the rest that I needed. So I, I feel like I, hurt myself in other ways. And, um, and if I would have slowed down, what, if I would have, maybe I would have healed faster and it's all these what ifs that I, I just don't know how I would have approached that. But I did see people too at the cancer center that I felt like, Oh my gosh, I need to help them. And during radiation, especially when we were going every day, there was a lady, the machine was down. We got there. Like I got there and they were like, Oh, the machine's down today. We're going to need to reschedule you. And a lady was crying outside and she said, I get these vouchers for the bus that I come and go. And she's like, and now they rescheduled me and I'm going to be short a voucher. And I don't know how to get here on another day and they're not going to give me another one. And I was like, I will drive you home. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I, I didn't realize that that was, you know, a situation for some people that they got those vouchers. And so I got her number and I took her home that day and I told her whenever the day is we get rescheduled, I'll go pick you up and I'll bring you in. And um, because that wasn't my reality, but then when I saw it for other people, mm -hmm. it just, it really touched my heart. But I, I do think too, 
for me, there was a lot of resources that I saw, but they weren't available because they were closed because of COVID. It was like, oh, you can go get this free thing, but you can't because we're closed. Whether it was, you can go get this free, how to put your makeup on, how to put eyebrows on. I just went with no eyebrows because I could not figure out how to do eyebrows. You know, I didn't go for a wig fitting because the places were closed. Everything was closed. And it was like, I didn't know where to get the resources from with everything not being open. And so when I did later, when I was feeling better and I saw all these organizations that help people um, with resources like what you were talking about, Dr. Alexia, with, whether it's wigs or, you know, for their children, holidays or proms and things like that, I just started then giving my money there <laughs> because yeah. I was like, I, I feel like now it's my turn to pay it forward. And I do know that there are other people that are struggling. So when I can, I do. And so, yeah. Awesome. So speaking of resources, um, Living Beyond Breast Cancer is a great resource to baddies. And it's one of our For the Breast of Us partners. Have yeah. either of you utilized them and the services that they offered over the course of your treatment? Um, so I'm actually uh, a young advocate for Living Beyond Breast Cancer this year. So, um, so I've actually had a really good time just learning about all the resources that they offer so that I can refer them out to other um, patients. Mm -hmm. I personally never needed any of the resources, but I know mm -hmm. a lot of people have. So I, I, I'm a connector and I like connecting people and I like sharing resources. So I love knowing as much as I can so that I could kind of put that out there. And, you know, when you're diagnosed, I don't know if this happens to you ladies, but you're kind of like a beacon for other people when they get diagnosed because everybody calls you. So you get the yeah. text messages and the emails, like so-and-so just got, you know, um, diagnosed. Can they call you? So you're constantly getting people um, calling you and asking you all kinds of questions. And so, I, you know, I have to be honest with everyone. Like, everybody's different. Everybody's journey is different. You know, there's different types of breast cancer. You know, I can right. try to connect you with someone that has more information in regards to that. So I do love sending them to LBBC and even like um, Young Survivors Coalition. You know, that was a huge thing for me. That was the first real conference I ever went to. And that's where I met my tribe, you know, and these ladies live all over the country and we still connect after all this time, you know. Um, so so I do like using those resources so that I can refer it out to, to other ladies. Yeah. What's, what's financial programs would you say stand out to you that Living Beyond Breast Cancer has to offer? Um, just in case somebody listening wants to tap in. I know that they have um, a grant to help with um, paying some of your bills. Um, so I think it's hard to find programs that will pay for treatment. I mm -hmm. haven't found any of those, but I have found that they, if you apply, they can pay some of your um, medical. I mean, your, yeah. you know, your, your light bill or your, you know, um, help you with whatever other financial burdens that you might be having. Yeah, that's important. I mean, I I would put groceries and gas on my credit card so I had cash available to pay my utilities, you know, um, and that was just, you know, what I did. And four years later, you know, I just recently climbed out of that credit card debt um, that I had amassed back in 2018 when I was in treatment and not working for almost a year. So, um, yes, please do. Um, tap in ladies and find those resources that will help cover your utilities or, or just even give you a patient grant. I've seen a couple of grants recently where you can just apply and you get $500 to do whatever you want with it. So keep your eyes peeled 
um, and just apply as often as you can or or need to for some of these resources out here. But definitely um, look to Living Beyond Breast Cancer for support. So Myra, I'm going to bring it back to you as, again. So as a metastatic breast cancer thriver, you're potentially on treatment for the rest of your life, right? And these treatments are expensive. Yes. What insights would you provide for financial support to other metastatic patients, especially if they don't, um, you know, have a, a hubby who could support their million dollar wife the way that yours does? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, um, honestly, for me, the, the biggest thing is um, the medicine, you know, these pills that you take, they're so expensive. Um, and just working with your medical facility to see if like they have um, an in-house pharmacy because they have a lot of um, grants and programs where they can provide or, or cover your copay, you know, for at least a year. I know that for mine, I didn't even know that I was on this until the pharmacist told me when he called me and told me I had a $7,000 copay because it had run out, but he had put me on this card. And this card was covering my copay. So for months I was getting the medicine for free, not knowing that there was a special program that they had applied for me. And I was getting, you know, these med these pills at no cost. Um, so finding out if there's something that can be done within your um, your in-house to see if the pharmacist can find some type of grant or something that can, you know, help you so that the medicine is not so expensive. Because I mean, I was paying thirty dollars, but I know other women that are paying three fifty a month for the same pill. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and uh, unfortunately, you know, it's illegal to share drugs. And, you know, if you had leftover drugs, you can't give them out to anybody else. And I didn't know that either. Cause when, anytime I get switched to new treatment, I'm like, I just have this brand new, you know, box of pills that cost $14,000. I don't want to flush it down the toilet when I can help someone. And there was no resource for me to be able to like donate that to someone else, you know? Yeah. Um, but for me, that was the biggest thing is just, um, getting, getting your medical team to, to help you whenever you can, you know? Sounds like a project, you know, to figure out a way yeah. to utilize those kinds of, um, there has to be something medications, right? There has to be a way to confirm that this is the drug and that the right dose, and we're going to transition it to the next person. In, yes. in need. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'll find that away mentally. Yes. So, um, but you bring up a good point, right, about copayment assistance programs and financial support for medications. Most pharmaceutical companies do have patient assistance programs, and you may need to sign up for it. Um, so, you know, find out the name of your drug, find out, yes. you know, who the man manufacturer is, mm -hmm. and see if you can get um, copayment assistance, see if you can get need-based assistance to cover the cost of the drug, or um, sometimes you can get a medication, especially for someone who's metastatic or late stage, you might be able to get compassionate use um, coverage from a pharmaceutical company for a medication. So those are things that we um, might explore on our own, you know, once we're prescribed a drug, if it's not covered, if it isn't easy to get your hands on it, you know, there's ways that we can do, we just kind of have to think outside of the box. So always, you know, go to the source, go to the manufacturer and see what they have available. Cause at the end of the day, these big corporations need a tax write off. So they get it by giving away their drugs. And if we don't ask, we will not receive. And a lot of drugs, especially 
newer drugs will have copayment assistance programs like you were signed up for. And sometimes the pharmacist is nice and hooks you up. And other times they don't say nothing because they got to make money for that pharmacy. So if there is somebody who can drop that seven grand or that 350 or whatever it is, like everybody wants to collect the cash at the door. So they may not always be forthcoming with the fact that this assistance is available, but it doesn't mean that we can't you know, look outside of the box or that we're limited to only what our doctors and nurse navigators and social workers are providing for us. And then of course, clinical trials can technically be a source for financial assistance in that treatment is covered, imaging may be covered, labs may be covered, transportation may be covered. um, And some of them pay you, not a lot of them, but some of them do give you a little financial incentive as well. And we, as community of color, definitely definitely need to get more involved um, with clinical trials. So that might even be a, a financial resource um, by way of getting newer drugs or newer treatments um, without any out-of-pocket cost or without having to run it through your insurance. And we can certainly benefit from that. So, you know, most medical centers do have financial assistance available to all patients, but in our communities, there can often be um, shame around asking for help. What do you ladies think is the source of that? We all sort of alluded to um, feeling that, right? Having pride get in the way of us asking. So what do you think um, is the the major cause for that in, in communities of color? Um, I think it's, I mean, I don't know. So for me, you weren't supposed to talk about things like if you're having a hard time for money when you're, when we were being brought up, I think it was, um, it's, it was part of the Hispanic culture. Like you don't talk about things like that. And, you know, I tell people now, like I didn't, I think I, now that I'm an adult, I know that we were raised with not that much money. Like I didn't understand why we had to eat beans and rice every single day, you know, or my uh, family, you know, my dad would go hunting and, you know, we'd have, that is the meat we ate. It wasn't, we weren't going to the store and buying meat from the store. And now I know that, but I know that it's just something that was always very private and never really talked about. Um, And I didn't even realize that was part of what was ingrained in me as I got older. And so um, I, for the most part of my adult life, I've worked in not-for-profit and I've worked or in in social services. I worked for the food bank uh, here in San Antonio. And I would see people that would struggle with food insecurity or just struggle with being hungry. and, And they would be waiting until until it was too late, like until they were hungry, hungry before they came and asked for help. And I always thought, why do they wait? Why do they not ask? And then there I was (laughs) (laughs) doing the same thing. And I thought, why am I not asking for help? Why am Mm -hmm. I suffering in silence or, or thinking that I can't, that, that I'm not worthy of that. And I think a lot of it was, you know, I, I don't want to be seen that, you know, I don't want to be seen as a failure. I think that's one of it. I was like, oh no, like I, I have a job, I get paid, I have insurance. And to me that kind of, that was at the back of my mind, would I be seen as a failure if I'm asking for help? 
And then two, because of COVID, it was like everybody was going through something or some people didn't have jobs. And, you know, there was so much going on during that time. I was like, how can I possibly ask for help when everybody is hurting at this time? And so I think there was just so many things going on at that time that I just, I was like, well, okay, well, we'll just eat some beans and rice here. <laughs> we'll get on with our day. But um, I, I think it was a myriad of things that kind of caused that for me. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's definitely a, a cultural thing, you know, especially when you start this battle, you're a total like fight mode and you need to be strong and you kind of feel like you're weak if you're asking for help. I mean, even for me, my mom, you know, people would call my mom like, what can I do to help her? My mom's like, she's never going to ask for help. You're just going to have to show up at her door and help her, you know? And even after surgeries, people are like, how can I help? And my mom's like, you're going to have to show up at her door because she's not going to tell you she needs help cleaning the house or she needs help with the kids or she needs help cooking dinner. You know, so I was really lucky and blessed that I had people in my life that set up a meal train for me because I wasn't going to do that. I didn't do a GoFundMe either. I was like, I'm not doing that. And my husband's like, you're not doing that. You know, because um, he's, you know, typical Hispanic male as well. Like, it's a pride thing. You don't ask anybody for help. We, we can get it done, you know. But I did have, you know, these amazing people in my life that just kind of showed up for me. You know, my high I got diagnosed the year that I was supposed to go to my high school reunion, my 20-year high school reunion. And I didn't know they did this, but they had T-shirts made with my blog information and everything, and they were selling them. Wow. I, I did a Zoom call with them the day of my grad because it was in Boston. And so they Zoom called me. And when I looked, everybody was wearing a t shirt. And one of my mm -hmm. friends told me they sold the t shirts and they were sending the money to me. And I just started crying, you know. And me being who I am, I didn't use the money to pay for financial stuff. I used the money to like do other things. You know, I used it to go to my first, you know, breast cancer conference or, you right. know, to pay for other things that I wanted to experience. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't ask for help. I needed help with my kids. The only person that would come here is like my mom, you know, and I felt bad and I felt guilty because, you know, she had to see me go through all this and then she had to also come and help clean my house, you know? Um, or, you know, I had a friend show up one day and just my mom was like, get snacks for the kids. She went to Costco and just showed up at my door with boxes of snacks and stuff for my kids because I didn't have time or the energy to go shopping, you know? So, um, but I, I've been very transparent about all this and I've been very um, vocal in regards to my blog and just sharing my story. So everybody kind of knows what it's going through, the good and the bad, you know, um, so people, you know, could choose if they wanted to help or not. But I never I never put it out there. People did that stuff for me. Yeah. Um, you know, same thing in the black community or African-American community. You don't divulge your personal business. You don't ask anybody for anything. You know, we were the people, we were the children where, you know, our mothers told us when we were going to someone's house, when we get there, you better not ask for no food. Don't be acting hungry. Like I didn't feed you. You know, you, you almost were scared to say yes for, to anything if you were offered something. And we carry that with us into our adult lives. And we, we lose the ability to get and be vulnerable, even when it would benefit us the most. Um, and then, you know, just the stigma of, um, that is placed on minority people in this country, you know, the, you, the, the world will tell you we're sucking up all the welfare and all the benefits, <laughs> all the government assistance, this, that, and the third, where we don't make up the majority of the people who benefit from this. And I will tell you that my patients of other persuasions, they don't make any hesitation about getting something 
for free. For free, yeah. For free. I had somebody write me a note and send me back. They had like a $7.51 outstanding balance on something pertinent to the office. And they wrote me a letter and told me to make the $7.51 go away. And I was like, yeah, no, you have $7.51. And if you think that I'm going to spend time away from a patient who has dire needs or spend my personal time to save you $7.51, you got another thing coming, but I mean, I, I don't live in a broke community. <laughs> I don't serve, you know, a, a low income population. I live in a, a very well-to-do upper middle class and even very wealthy community. And certainly we have people who are uninsured, underinsured, unemployed, etc. But it is my patients who got money who are most likely to call and demand to have a co-payment waived or um, to, to demand that a bill be cut down or to negotiate a payment and they got it. So, you know, we have to get comfortable with doing the same. Um, We we don't have to give it away, even if we just have it, if there's a possibility of negotiating down co-payments or um, negotiating down total, you know, bills and saying, listen, I can't pay that 2,500. Can you work with me? Um, and maybe holding money in the bank and doing a, you know, a payment plan. Maybe you're going to pay $25 a month or a hundred dollars a month, but it might behoove you and your family to hold that, that $2,500 or that $2,400 in, in the bank and spread out payments over time. Like we don't have to feel so prideful about just throwing money at things. We need to pay. We need to, you know, uh, address the the bills we've made and the services we've received, but we don't have to feel like we got to ball out and pay it all at once. Like, I was going to say that. Yeah. I felt that sense of like, when I saw it, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to put it on my credit card. And my husband's like, are you going to put that on your credit card? He's like, just work with the hospital and you pay. He's like, even if you pay $50 a month or $100 a month. As long as you're giving them something. Yeah, as long as you're giving them something. And I didn't get that in the beginning. I was so mm-hmm. stressed out with, oh my God, do I have to like, you know, just blow up my credit card right now because I want to pay it all in advance. He's like, no, yeah. no, no, no. Don't like, do that. Don't do that. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't, don't do, that. do that. Because, so. you know, your circumstances can change. I mean, when I used my credit card, um, the way I did while I was out of work on treatment, my assumption was that I would just return to work the same way I left. I would return to the previous productivity and I would have, you know, these big fat paychecks that I, I was used to. And I was not able to sustain that same amount of work to sustain that type of income. So it took a long time and a lot of sacrifice to get out of that debt. So we can't just, you know, go plunking thousands of dollars on um, credit card bills and things like that. So definitely work with your doctor's office, work with your um, hospitals. They they have business offices. They have financial institutions. They will accept payments. They would rather get a payment than send you to, you know, collections. And like you have life on the other side of surgery and chemo and radiation. You want to have some good credit. Yeah. <laughs> Restarting yeah. life. Like you don't, like you have to think about tomorrow and you have to plan for the future. You don't want your cancer treatment to be the reason why you can't buy a house or why, you know, you have a terrible interest rate on your car loan in the future because your credit is destroyed with medical bills. You know, medical debt is like 
the number one cause of personal bankruptcy in the United States. And, you know, I don't remember if we said it before yet on the podcast itself, right? But um, women who have gone through breast cancer have some of the most medical indebtedness and especially women of color. They really feel the financial strain of a breast cancer diagnosis more so than other cancer um, patients. And that's really hard to imagine, but we cannot dispute the facts. And again, it's just yet another disparity that we face um, when we talk about breast cancer. So lastly, ladies, as we wrap things up, other than the wonderful gems, the wonderful knowledges and the shared experiences that we've talked about here, what financial resources or tips would you like to share with our listeners that helped you? Uh, for me, I don't know that this helped me, but I know for those individuals and that women and even men who need a mammogram and think I can't afford this or I don't go out, I I know like my healthcare system and there's another uh, healthcare system in San Antonio, they offer uh, free mammograms to the uninsured and underinsured. Uh, we have an actual mobile mammography unit that goes out into the different outlining areas, uh, you know, that goes to different community centers. It offers free mammograms uh, for individuals who are in need. And so I just, for all of those that have not gone to go get a screening because you think you can't afford it, look for those resources as well. As well. It's usually, you know, managed by your county hospital or one of your not-for-profit hospitals in your area. But look for those resources to make sure that you're getting your screenings uh, because those are so important. And um, yeah, you don't want to miss on that. And then We'll figure out the rest. We have patient navigators that then can help you if for some reason you need other things and another screening or the diagnostic screening and other things. But just make sure that you're using the resources to go out and find and get the screenings that you need every year. Yeah, absolutely. The important thing about, you know, not delaying screening is if you get diagnosed at an earlier stage of the disease, your care is much less complicated and really much more cost effective. Absolutely. So, you know, if if somehow your health and well-being and your survival is not incentive enough to, um, you know, go ahead and get screened, like think about if God forbid something is found, because people are always worried about, oh, my God, what if they find something? Well, one, we can't find something that's not there. But two, if we find it earlier, you have much more treatment options. You will likely require much less um, therapy and that care may be much more cost effective than um, the care that you might require at a later stage of the diagnosis. Yep, absolutely. Um, and for me, my, um, you know, advocating for yourself, ask those questions, do your research. You know, um, I had to get online and Google and find different resources and ask those questions. And when you get those bills, don't be scared to call them and ask them, hey, did you charge my insurance? Because sometimes I'm getting bills. I'm like, why am I getting charged this? Call them, call your insurance, call the hospital, have those conversations, you know, um, fight for yourself, advocate, you know, um, that is the, the biggest thing I can, I can tell women and men, you know, anyone is just because sometimes they make mistakes too, you know, um, and they're charging you, not realizing that certain things are covered. And then you're stressing yourself out and being stressed out during cancer treatment is not the best thing for you, obviously, you, you need to be in a good state of mind to, to, to battle this, you know? 
Um, so definitely is is having those um, you know conversations with people, asking those questions, and doing your research. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's important, like you mentioned, both of you mentioned before, right? Um, what does your insurance cover, and what does it not cover? Um, does it cover it at one facility versus another? Um, do you have like an open access plan where you can go anywhere or do you need to stay within a provider network? Do you need prior authorizations or referrals, right? Those types of things are super important um, and, and you need to know that, right? If your insurance requires your primary care doctor to write you a referral before you go to your oncologist or before you go to the radiation oncologist, Make sure you have those referrals in place before the visit so that payment for those um, those visits is, is covered by your insurance because the insurance wants to save a buck just like we do. And yeah. so they will deny as much as they can deny just because you didn't follow protocol. So know what type of insurance you have, know how your insurance works. Um, if you have secondary insurance, like, you know, are you covered under your spouse's policy? Like, make sure you bring that information and make sure if you have two insurances that both your primary and secondary are being billed before you start making payments, you know? Um, my ex-husband and I agreed to hold on our divorce before, because I got diagnosed literally as we were finalizing, you know, our divorce agreement. And I was like, look, I got breast cancer. It's expensive. Can we hold off on this so I can stay on your insurance so that I would have secondary coverage. And at the time I had co-insurance, meaning I had to pay a percentage of um, each of my procedures or whatever, if I did not have his secondary. And I remember um, doing the math on my mastectomy and just the initial part of my reconstruction. That surgery was $132,000. And without my ex-husband's insurance as a secondary, I would have been responsible for 20% of that bill you know? So, um, you know, hopefully you don't have to make those kinds of extraordinary life changes, but I mean, in the grand scheme of life, when you think about the potential for medical indebtedness, um, make sure you, you know, you check your drawers, you check your paperwork, you see what is available to you. Do you have, um, FSA through work that you were paying into? Do you have um, and can you make contributions and in order to use that? Or do you have employer reimbursement? Like recently when I returned back to work, I started getting these big checks in the mail. I'm like, what the heck is this? And my employer was reimbursing me for the outstanding balances um, for some of my medical procedures. So literally I could deposit that check in my account and then write a check to my doctor's office. So see what kinds of employer benefits you have as well, because, you know, the, the this thing can financially make or break you and it's hard enough as it is. But if we can alleviate, you know, another set of pain or another set of stressors, as Myra said, that is awesome. So ladies, this has been a super great conversation. It's been juicy. It's been chock full of wisdom and pearls. And, you know, we even managed to eke out a laugh or two, which is, 
Laughter is Good Medicine. So yeah. tell our listeners how they're able to connect with you and find you on social media. So um, I have a blog called Green Chemo Ninjas. Um, and on Instagram, that's also my tag. It's green.chemo.ninja. Um, on Facebook, same thing. I have a page. Um, but um, yeah, that's how people can reach out to me. And I am at um, at VS Laurel on all social media channels. I'm at Alexia, C-R-A-L-E-X-E-A on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And my website and blog is dralexia.com. Um, and so I certainly look forward to connecting with you all in the future. Thank you again, ladies, so much for this juicy and informative conversation. And thank you all who are out there listening to us. And make sure you like, share, and subscribe to Batty to Batty whenever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is another Batty creation brought to you by For the Rest of Us. Don't forget to subscribe to Batty to Batty wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at For the Breast of Us, on Twitter at The Breast of Us, and check us out online at breastofus.com. Thanks for listening.